Hi everyone, my name is Beata Vilcek and this is Fashion Knowledge, a podcast educating, disrupting and shaping fashion futures. Fashion Knowledge is brought to you by Unfolding Strategies, a consultancy and education lab for digital, inclusive and sustainable fashion in Web3. Welcome to today's episode of Fashion Knowledge. Our guest today is Maya Mann, a LA-based artist with a focus on contemporary internet cultures and identity, working across different mediums, including websites, code, and social media posts. Her works have been internationally exhibited all over US and lately also in Tokyo and London. Maya, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you for being here. I've been following uh, your work for some time, and uh, I'm very excited to see how you're merging different mediums, different topics, different aesthetics together. It really makes me think about art that I, this particular moment in art that I was very passionate about around 10 years ago, which was post-internet art. I was also into digital art before, so I'm very excited to see also how you uh, merge it and reflect, you know, on social media, fashion, culture in general. Today, I hope we can talk about language, randomness, and digital identity, and that we can do that by going a bit deeper into your two recent works, uh, Dress Code and Feeling Lucky. But before we do this, I thought we can chat a bit about your background. You study computer science and media art. Can you tell me a bit about your journey and how you developed your practice? Yeah, so uh, where I actually usually start is that I grew up as a dancer. Um, I... I grew up in a small town in central Pennsylvania in the States, and um, I spent a lot of my time in the dance studio and also going to competitions with my uh, company. And that meant I spent a lot of time thinking about performance and thinking about how to specifically perform for an audience. And so that was sort of always in my mind for many years. Um, But academically in school I was actually much more inclined toward um, math rather than I was never like someone who was spending a lot of time drawing or painting Um, I was really interested in logic and math and so when I went to um, college after high school I decided to study computer science and that um, fit a lot of what I was interested in because it involved a lot of math and logic, but at the same time, it gave me these tools to be able to build something myself, which was very exciting to me. Um, And at the same time, I decided to study media studies because I was interested in the theory um, behind the technology that I was learning about and working to learn how to build all the time. So those, I was studying computer science and media studies in parallel and the two disciplines, the two departments were very far from each other on campus, but they very much interacted in my mind um, and informed a lot of the way that I I, I um, engaged with each one. And and after my first year of college, I met a group of artists who were involved with the processing and P5.js um, communities, like these uh, Java and JavaScript, JavaScript-based libraries that artists often use to make code-based artwork. Um, and it was sort of the first time that I saw that someone could be an artist and be using technology in their practice and be thinking critically about technology in their practice. Um, It really expanded my idea of what an artist could be. And it made me feel like that was really the only uh, 
path forward for me. It's what I could imagine wanting to be most. Nice. That's uh, that's uh, I would say quite interdisciplinary a journey, which probably is a great you know foreground for your work. This highly performing competitive body, right? This is what you have from dancing, and then also being able to coach. You said also previously to me that it gave you some sense of autonomy. That's that was also quite intriguing to me. You mentioned before that uh, yeah, learning how to code. Uh, at least I understood it this way. Please correct me if I'm wrong. That gave you this autonomy. And then also this reflection, how and why it impacts people from this, like, let's say, more critical, theoretical perspective. I think it's a pretty exciting um, combo. This podcast is, is pretty much about many things around no, uh, around fashion. That's why we call it fashion knowledge. And one, in one of your works, uh, you dealt quite specifically with fashion. So I hope we can maybe talk uh, a little bit about today. So you know, can be in a broader sense, but in this work in dress code, uh, which is a browser based in generative artwork, um, you use different different words uh, from Instagram captions from Gucci and uh, yeah, created this uh, almost floating uh, generative pattern with words like authenticity and realness. Uh, can you tell me a bit more how this piece uh, came about? Yeah, so it's fun to talk about this piece because um the process of creating it was very fascinating for me um so this was for an auction that was hosted um as a collaboration between gucci and christie's and um i wanted to make a piece for it that engaged with the sort of metadata that gucci put out around their products through social media um and i wanted it to be a, I, I make a lot of websites as art objects, so dress code is that. Um, it's live at the URL dresscode.rodeo. Um, and I, I started just by looking at Gucci's Instagram to start to really get inside of the world um, that they put out online. And I became extremely um, obsessed with the specific adjectives that Gucci often used to describe the products that they were showing in the Instagram captions. Um, so I started scrolling all the way back through Gucci's Instagram posts. I went, you know, from today all the way back to like 2013, um, maybe even a little bit earlier. And I would read read every caption and then copy and paste the adjectives that they used and put those into my code-based library that um, eventually then was used to create this generative patchwork piece dress code. Um, and what dress code is doing is pulling from this library of adjectives and then it will, for one patch, will pick one adjective and repeat that over and over and over to create this sort of like looped fabric visual. Um, but it's made up of the language that Gucci uses. Um, and I, uh, because so much of the way that we interact with fashion, the way that we shop now is on the internet it's through our screens um and a lot of the work that i deal with um and a lot of the work that i make focuses on language and specifically um i'm interested in these like either overt or like pseudo advertising formats um what's a pseudo advertising format what the, what, the, what do you mean when you say that oh great question um i might have i might have just made that up um uh, but when I say pseudo advertising format, I guess I'm thinking about I'm I'm thinking about something that to me I can break down um 
to see as a form of advertising. Um, for example, I did this piece called Fake It Till You Make It that focused on these Instagram graphics that will say things about self-care and they'll say things like love yourself or you deserve to relax or, you know, in like bubbly pink font or whatever. Um, and, and it's less overtly advertising a product um, in the way a classic advertisement would, but it's advertising an idea or a way to think about yourself. Um, it also has like a lot of adver advertising, almost this, this undertone of um, religiousness um, or this implied belief system. So, um, yeah. Because I was thinking if it's not a little bit like how you, you know, take those mechanisms and how you break them down and instill in your work and how you play around with them. Because this works for me really much, you know, fleshes out this. Um, because when we think about SEO optimization and how garments are described, usually that we'll be focusing on, you know, pretty pragmatic terms because people usually look for, I don't know, red boots. They don't look for a real authentic experiences with fashion when they type in words when they search for something um so i but then this language is the kind of this seductive part and this uh this kind of contextualization that's you know is the essence also of luxury brands so i found it very very interesting and um how did you feel about it being like this you know this uh you're also working situated between like you know gucci and christie's and it was on one hand you said it was a Website is an art object, you said. On the other hand, this also was an NFT. So I'm I'm curious also how for you as an artist working in this context, uh, you know, how does it add any interesting layers? Uh, I don't know. Just want to hear your thoughts about that. I mean, for me, I've been working with software as a medium since 2015. Um, well before NFTs were popular or really in our vocabulary um for most people and so for me it it really i really see it as a digital certificate i see it as a way to share and allow people to collect my work in the way that has always like that has always been a possibility in the traditional contemporary art market um but there's never been a way for work to operate in, in within that similar system for digital work or software-based work, especially. Um, and so what was exciting for me was sort of this way to allow for, um, allow for that to happen with the type of work that I make in a way that was never possible before. Yeah, I, um, I get it. I remember also 10 years ago, certain artists like, uh, I don't know, Rafael Rosendahl um, tried to, for example, think how to remunerate the value of an artwork, which is a website based on how many views it had, or the same with, you know, YouTube video. There are many different attempts in like art history to do that. And um, I'm asking about that because there's been so many discussions and projects around, and I've also been involved in some of them around fashion NFTs and what for fashion as a, let's say, industry and cultural domain, what NFT means. Uh, can it be a garment that you wear? Can it be just, a, as you said, certification and membership? So there are those different scenarios are still being played out. Um, and I found this project, you know, that brings together an auction house and a big luxury brand and actually, you know, just not making an NFT as a medium, but using it uh, as a way to, as you said, certify and collect work that made to me rationally a lot of sense. But yeah, let's talk about your uh, latest uh project or work feeling lucky 
uh, I think it's such a great title. Uh, maybe you can even tell us a bit what Feeling Lucky is and what is it about? Yeah, so the title actually comes from the button that lives on the Google.com homepage. It's been there since 1998 when Google was released and it's the button that says, I'm feeling lucky. Um, and I became with this with this collection really interested in the concept of randomness and how it shows up in in relation to the contemporary culture of astrology. So I moved to Los Angeles in 2021 and I was really uh, struck by how many people were talking about astrology around me and in the conversations I was having and and the way that astrology was distributed, often through the internet, through an app like CoStar or the Pattern. Um, and I, to me, astrology, my relationship to astrology has been about randomness for a long time. And randomness plays a large role in the creation of generative artwork um, and the way that software operates um, as an art medium for many people. And so I wanted to sort of bring those two things together and write an algorithm that could essentially um, output uh astrology readings that were computer generated in some way but also think about how to find meaning from that randomness mm. and then when you think about this because i let's go even a bit back to the school button uh because i started thinking what does it mean to be lucky online if you're online what does it mean to be lucky what does it mean to be unlucky um and i also started wondering why they why they shut it down why they killed this uh quite you know at first looking fantastic and absurd and because it was it was one percent of all searches was going through a uh, feeling lucky google button uh google was basically losing money so they were not so lucky as this didn't allow them to uh basically run people through the ads um and with all this kind of randomness i was thinking that actually this feeling lucky button was anti-randomness it was redirecting you about ads to so it was like a shortcut no ads straight to the point uh you were redirected and i was thinking was it you know is there really place for randomness uh in um in in code is there a lot of place for is it really randomness or is it you know just a set of different factors that are entangled together i don't know what what how do you approach that <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's a big question because the idea of randomness, many people would argue, does not, it's actually impossible for it to exist in the sort of colloquial theoretical sense that we refer to it. Um, but I, um, when I think about randomness online, um, these sort of chance encounters and, and then the narrative of the I'm feeling lucky button, I mean, being online has now become so much about being trapped in these ecosystems and what the I'm feeling lucky repre button represented to me earlier on was about go visiting a specific website being sort of this portal to a specific place online that the search engine was taking you to. Um, and now that experience has been really replaced by using the algorithm that exists on TikTok or that exists on Instagram to sort of show you what uh, it thinks that you want to see based on what it knows about you how you interact with um it already after through many hours and minutes of screen time um so the time online feels much less my time online feels much less random um than it did in the earlier days and much more predetermined by the algorithms that um have learned what i want to see uh when i'm spending time on these platforms 
Well, or they want you to think that this is what you want to see. That's uh, that's that's also another uh, yeah yeah. And let's not you know let's let's give them some agency that they have in making yeah. things that manufactured um, desire. Exactly, manufacturing desire. That's a that's a good one. I when I was also thinking, I think last week about uh, as uh, recording this podcast, there was this. Uh, I saw some like interview uh, with some. Let me use the phrase tech bro with some tech bros, and one of them that said that everything can be predicted is just a matter of enough data. Uh, and yeah, and I was thinking this is uh, I don't know is is your isn't your work a little bit almost like the opposite of that? Because he would assume that, you know, you can predict everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so much of these these collections, like whether we're talking about dress code piece that we were discussing earlier, I'm feeling lucky, revolve around this level of randomness that I, I intentionally seed into the piece. So even as the artist, I can't tell you exactly what's going to come out. Um, but it is all there are many boundaries that I've set up. It's all happening within a system that's that's determined by myself. Um, but that question really gets into the the idea of um, simulation, free will. Is that is that something that I I think it, it comes down to an individual belief system on on how you want to view the world in your own agency. Um, yeah, and so I I think I've been grappling a lot it was in the work that i put out i grappled a lot with this lack of agency that i feel on the internet today and part of being able to use software as my preferred artistic medium is that it gives me agency to build things on top of the system that constantly uh makes me feel like i have none so um i do find a comfort in that yeah that's uh that's yeah that's that's good that sounds very that sounds very good um coming and coming back a little bit to the i i still want to so i guess this is for you probably being lucky that you can build upon the system uh and kind of expand and test this limitation or you know see how it can be used otherwise because i was even i was even thinking about you know what is luck my background is psychology so usually there is this one theory probably from 50s explaining that people who are uh you know uh who think they're lucky they have this very external locus of control and then there are people who they don't believe they're lucky they you know they just worked hard or you know they kind of believe that everything comes from their actions and they have this impact on things and i was thinking as everything becomes more digitized i was thinking also how you know different societies are gonna either they're gonna become you know more lucky they will believe more or unlucky they believe more in those um, external factors that something happened beyond them uh, or actually are going to rely on you know their own actions and yeah and and i also looked up the definition of luck you know it's the force that causes things especially good things and um yeah it, so using the search engine actually it is working with a certain force that gives you answers to potential questions or even with you know with uh uh, with ChatGPT, we can really see that. So it can really be interpreted as the force that makes something happen. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to ask you what what to you is. Uh, uh, when are you feeling lucky? When do you when do you feel luck on on or unluck when you when you work in like digital realm? What to you is lucky? Yeah. So so much of what I've been feeling 
yeah, so much of what I've been feeling recently is that I have the power to decide if I feel lucky about something. And it's changed a lot from when I was younger. And when I was younger, I think I was more cynical that I was very anti-organized religion and anti-finding meaning in life in any way that I couldn't justify, I guess. Um, but what's really changed and, and, and came up a lot for me when I was working on that I'm feeling lucky piece is that there's something very beautiful to me about finding meaning in randomness and allowing myself to feel lucky. Um, when my computer outputs something that, you know, a sentence that sounds actually relevant to me and I find comforting, I know it's my computer. I programmed the computer to do that, but allowing myself to imagine that it is a sign of luck or a let it comfort me in some way has been really relieving actually um and i found the same thing with numbers like i have certain numbers that i put 26 or 47 that i feel very attached to and now when i encounter them in the world i let myself feel lucky as i let myself see it as a sign of luck rather than sort of justifying it away um by uh talking it up to randomness or whatever um and so i think my perspective on luck has shifted a lot in that way and i'm very fascinated by the way that luck operates on the internet especially within the sort of subculture of like subliminals and manifesting and this idea this trend that was popular maybe especially like a i don't know a year or so ago like lucky girl syndrome um there's a there's a very heavy um femininity to it in the way that I at least experience it online this idea of consuming content in a way or posting in a way that is supposed to bring you more luck um and I think it's this desire for agency in a way um in, in the way that you interact with the internet just in your life in general um and so yeah as I've gotten older I've definitely been more excited about sort of letting myself feel lucky allowing it to happen Okay, amazing. And um, what are you working uh, on now? What are your upcoming projects? Um, yeah, so I'm currently uh, in Los Angeles. There's a group show that is opening um, in a couple of weeks. It'll be up from mid-October to through November um, called Interreality. Um, and it's a large group of uh, 35 artists who work digitally. So that's happening in LA um, this upcoming month. And then project I'm really excited about is that I'm working toward turning my generative collection, I'm uh, Fake It Till You Make It, into an, a book that will be released in early 2024, early next year. So I'm excited for people to have a physical object that they can view the collection through. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always uh, very fascinating to transfer something that was only, you know, uh, desktop web-based than to make it tangible in a physical object. That's uh, that's really cool. I'm looking really forward to seeing uh, to seeing uh, your book. Uh, and one last thing, if you could give, I don't know, anyone who uh, who is uh, interested in your work and wants to understand a bit more about this, if you could like recommend something, a book or I don't know, a movie that inspires you, uh, what would it be? Oh wow, well, um, I. I... I bring this up a lot, but for me, Irving Goffman's The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life was extremely influential in the way that I think about the internet. Um, it's this it's this dramaturgical, so like theater-oriented 
theory of socializing that um, resonates a lot with me about socializing in physical space, but especially with the way that we socialize online today. Um, and as someone who has this sort of inherent feeling of performance often moving through life, I found it very comforting. So I would say that. Thank you so much, Maria. If you like this podcast and you would like to see it to continue, as well as receive more information from Unfolding Strategies, please visit unfoldingstrategies.substack.com and subscribe, where you will get access to our recent insights, reading lists, and podcast episodes, as well as archive of past newsletters, talks, and episodes. Thank you for listening.